Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 23, the first part of several concerning the history of Canaan. Over the past many weeks, I've covered the Sumerians, then spent a little time on the city of Haran, and on the Elamites. This week, I'll begin the history of Canaan, thought to be the most mentioned area and people in the Old Testament. So let's get started. This episode, and the next few, like I said before, are about Canaan, the land to which Abraham traveled in Genesis 12. The specific passage was covered an episode or two ago, but for emphasis, and at the expense of redundancy, I'll quote it again. At the very beginning of Genesis 12, it is written that God commanded Abram, the future Abraham, Go from your country, and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land I will show you. End quote. Now, this passage does not tell us to which land God intended Abraham to travel and perhaps settle in, but in verse 5, we are told that Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran. And then they set forth to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to the land of Canaan. And so begins this narrative of the Bible. The long interaction of Abram and his descendants, the future people of Israel, with the land of Canaan, which would, sometime later, become the land of Israel. But, like most history of this time, it's not quite so straightforward. As it turns out, the specifics of who lived in that area before Abraham, and consequently before the Israelites, is far from simple. The first mention of the word Canaan is in Genesis chapter 9, verse 22 where Canaan is a person, specifically the youngest son of Ham, the grandson of Noah. But in this reference, Canaan is not a nation, at least not that could be easily deduced from the text. Canaan first appears as one of Noah's grandsons during the narrative known as the Curse of Ham, in which Canaan is cursed with perpetual slavery because his father Ham had looked upon the drunk and naked Noah. In fact, the New Revised Standard Version in verse 25 reads, Cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. The second mention is in the Table of Nations, in chapter 10. In that genealogy, Canaan is listed in more detail, quoting again, The descendants of Ham, Cush, Egypt, put in Canaan. End quote. Skipping ahead a bit, Canaan became the father of Sidon, his firstborn, in Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Havites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the families of the Canaanites spread abroad, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar, as far as Giza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboam, as far as Lasha. These are the descendants of Ham, by their families, their languages, their lands, and their nations. End quote. For what it's worth, the site on whom the Table of Nations identifies as the firstborn of Canaan has the same name as that of the coastal city of Sidon in present-day Lebanon. This city dominated the Phoenician coast and may have enjoyed control over a number of ethnic groups who are said to belong to the land of Canaan. However, Despite all this demographic and geographic detail, there is no indication in the text of the special role that the Canaanites and their land are destined to play in the continuation of the narrative. 
That role only becomes clear later. Abram left Ur and traveled to Canaan, so I'm covering it here. But truly, it has more significance when Moses leads the flock out of bondage in Egypt. So I'll cover what Canaan was at that point in time too. But keep in mind that my stopping point will be very speculative and arbitrary, and the historic record, especially outside of the Bible, is completely unclear as to when exactly this event occurred. Later, and as mentioned last week, Abram enters Canaan and apparently settles by the Okamora near Sechem. Then there is a curious sentence, and the Canaanite was then in the land. What makes this interesting is that the Canaanites were the people, but given the wording, the land was not theirs. Foreshadowing? Perhaps. God articulates the promise to Abram once more in chapter 15. The story of what some scholars refer to as the covenant between the cuts, or sometimes the covenant of the parts. After setting up an array of cut-up animals, Abram falls asleep. In his sleep, he has a vision of God, who tells Abram of his descendant's slavery and release, ending with a promise. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Riphium, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jezbesites. A few chapters later, specifically in chapter 24, it reads how Abram sent his servant Haran to find a wife for his son Isaac, so that Isaac will not end up marrying a Canaanite. Soon thereafter, the Bible reads about Rebekah, who also insisted that her son Jacob be sent to Haran rather than marry, quoting, the daughters of Heth. Going on to read, Isaac says, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Again, there seems to be some confusion. What is a daughter of Heth? Is this the same as the daughter of Canaan? Is a Hethite also a Canaanite, as implied in Genesis 10? Square, meet rectangle. To dig a little deeper into the history of the Canaanites found in the Bible, we see that during the covenant of the parts, God tells Abraham that although his descendants will inherit the land, they will have to wait several generations because the sin, or in some versions, the inequity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It seems that in this case, this verse uses the word Amorite as a general term for the inhabitants of the land, just as Rebekah used the term Hethite as a general term and Isaac used Canaanite. But that's a bit speculative and will probably remain as such. Also, I have little clue what it means that their sin is not yet complete. But that's bordering on theological, and I'm trying really hard to keep it all historical. My thought is that they were not done with their polytheism. After all, this is pre-Ten Commandments, and therefore the word sin may have had a different meaning than our current understanding. Also, in Genesis chapter 23, the inhabitants of Hebron, from whom Abraham buys the cave of Machpelah, are called Hittites. And in Joshua 10, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, and the other cities in what is assumed to be southern Canaan, the kings that Joshua defeats are collectively called the kings of the Amorites. And again in Numbers 34, where the land of Canaan extends from Lebanon southward to the brook of Egypt and eastward to the Jordan River Valley. References to Canaan in the Bible are usually backward-looking, referring to a region that has since become something else. 
such as the land that became the Israel of the Old Testament. And that is some of the irony of this episode. In fact, the most frequently mentioned name in the Old Testament after Canaanite is Amorite, almost as if this were some kind of assumed identity of any Canaanite who was not known to be something else. Kind of a catch-all. It should be telling that the biblical background on the people and region takes up two episodes of this podcast. But there is another factor playing into that, too, and I'll get to it at the very end of this episode. As if this weren't confusing enough, when the prophet Ezekiel describes the origins of Jerusalem, he uses all three terms, quoting, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. But there's a hidden gem here. It can be interpreted as saying the Amorites and the Hittites are Canaanites. Not to be forgotten, and as mentioned in Genesis chapter 12, verse 6, we are told that the Canaanite was then in the land. However, in chapter 13, verse 7, we are informed that the Canaanite and the Perizzites were then living in the land. Rabbi Abraham ben Mir ibn Ezra, who lived in what is modern-day Spain in the 12th century AD, pointed out that the Perizzites are listed in chapter 15, but not in chapter 10, and surmised that Perizzite must be another name for one of the groups that are listed in chapter 10. To this evidence, we can add many more references to the people of Canaan, each giving us a slightly different understanding of who exactly did inhabit the land. The picture we get, then, is rather confused. The land was inhabited by the Canaanites, who were comprised of several different groups, one of which was the Canaanites. But the Amorites and the Hittites, and many others, are also mentioned. There does not seem to be much consistency in the use of the various groups. It is at this point that we should turn to what can be deduced from the historical record, or at least a teaser of what will follow in subsequent episodes. Canaan was a Semitic-speaking region in the ancient Middle East during the late 2nd millennium BC. In the Bible, it corresponds with an area sometimes referred to as the Levant, in particular the areas of the southern Levant that are the main setting of the narrative of the Hebrew Bible, such as the area of Israel, Philistia, Phoenicia, and other nations. In a modern sense, these are the areas that currently comprise Israel, Jordan, bits of Sinai, and a little of Syria. I covered the term Levitt many, many episodes ago, but just as a refresher, it generally refers to the eastern side of the Mediterranean. It is also the L in the name ISIL, which some politicians use instead of ISIS. Now, to complicate the matter a bit, the term Canaanites is considered to be an ethnic catch-all term covering the varied indigenous populations of both settled and nomadic herder groups throughout the region of the southern Levant. It is considered the most frequently used ethnic term in the Bible, but considering the area which all of the Old and most of the New Testaments take place, this should come as little surprise. In the Bible, they are commonly described as a people who are undesirable. In fact, and I realize I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but Joshua 3 says they are to be driven out of the land. I'll get to that part next week. Outside of the Bible, archaeological attestation of the name Canaan in ancient Near Eastern sources is almost exclusively during the period in which the region was a colony of the New Kingdom of Egypt, from about the 16th until the 11th centuries BC. 
but the usage of the name pretty much disappeared following its late Bronze Age collapse, which occurred around 1200 BC. These references suggest that during this period, the term was familiar to the region's neighbors, although it has been disputed to what extent such references provide a coherent description of its location and boundaries, and regarding whether the inhabitants use the term to describe themselves. Like I've mentioned far too many times, this is what historians must deal with in trying to reconstruct eras and societies from incomplete records. But then again, even in our modern era, we cannot agree on whether we should call a group ISIS or ISIL. So why should anyone be surprised that we don't know exactly what the term Canaan means? However, there are what are called the Armana letters and other texts that have been uncovered in their original cuneiform. Also, there are other sources from the Egyptian New Kingdom that mention numerous military campaigns conducted in a land referred to as Kanana, which may have been or perhaps probably were the same area. The term Canaanites is attested many centuries later as the name of the people later known to the ancient Greeks beginning around 500 BC as Phoenicians. This was following the immigration of Canaanite-speaking people to Carthage, located on the north side of the continent of Africa, the south shore of the Mediterranean. Later, these people would refer to themselves as Punics, but that was much later than this period of the Bible. Also, these may, or conversely may not, have been the same Canaanites of the Bible, but this is somewhat similar to the usage later in the Old Testament, such as at the end of the book of Zechariah, where the term is thought to refer to a class of merchants or to the polytheistic people in Israel or neighboring Sidon and Tyre, as well as its single independent usage in the New Testament, where it is alternated for Syrophoenician in two parallel passages of Matthew. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself, well ahead of myself. That's for next week. And that's probably about as good of a place to stop as any. Next week, I'll continue the history of the Canaanites as found in both the Old and New Testaments. You don't want to miss it. Before I sign off, one administrative detail. Now, some of you may have noticed that the episodes are a few minutes shorter than they were in the first chapter, and this warrants an explanation. I am employed full-time and also play a very active role within my family. As such, at both my job and family, this is a very busy season perhaps the busiest part of the year. But, at the same time, I am fully committed to the time and craft of putting together this podcast, so I had a choice to make. I could be less active with my family, less productive at work, or take the podcast to an every-other-week publication frequency. I chose, as I often do, none of the above. Instead, I'm shaving about five to seven minutes off of each episode, but still publishing weekly. This will probably continue until the end of November, maybe December. I hope you can be both patient and understanding. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. And if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they're released. And one more thing, as I've requested numerous times, go to iTunes and give the podcast a positive review. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.